host, Adrian. I'm Thomas. And I'm Zach. Are you ready, guys? We couldn't count, so this is great. We're starting off really strong. I watched mean? Thomas count. No, no, no. I watched no, no. Thomas I count counted, to three. I counted, and then I went to clap. When I was supposed to be starting the recording, that's what that was. Yeah, that that's was, what it was. That was yeah, me trying to clap instead of starting the recording. You're Someone was way too excited to start this episode, and I appreciate that. Clapping. I never clap. You're never I'm not the clapper. The clap. I'm the counter. You've never given the clap. You're not. Hopefully, I hope you've never given the clap. Yeah, nope, uh, not, not to my knowledge. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. If I cough, I apologize, listeners. I got COVID for the first time in three years, and I still haven't forgiven my coworker for that. Uh, talking shit. Oh yeah, and I don't think they listen. But if they did, you know who you are, betrayer. Uh, so I am working on a campaign, which um, not we at one point. One. Yeah, I'm always working on a campaign. Am I ever going to finish it? I don't know. So, essentially, what we're kind of going through, though, is I wanted to make a Spelljammer campaign kind of focused around The Expanse and Killjoys, which is a sci-fi show that ended, like, I think 2020, 2019. It's been a while. Expanse recently ended, I think. I think they got, like, five seasons. You can watch them on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch old sci-fi shows, good luck, because their website sucks. And they're not on any streaming service. So, I really like these shows. They're kind of a, not necessarily, I guess kind of dystopian, utopian. Like, there's always one planet or one location that's way better than everything else. It's the most advanced. And then other social classes and everything live to serve the higher classes. See, and so I'm kind of, our, our touchstone yeah. there, we've got what, Cowboy Bebop, and we've got uh, uh, Serenity, the Firefly. That's, Firefly. That's why, I haven't seen the ones you talked about, but I've seen those, and I feel maybe some similarities there. I haven't watched either of those either, and I know I'm ashamed of that. I should probably catch up on that. So, I wanted to kind of give a... They're good. I know they're both good. I know The problem I have with Firefly is it only got one season in like a movie, it's and it was canceled. It's easy to watch. It's easy to watch, yeah. But I know that I'm going to really like it, and then it's going to be done, and then I'm going to be sad. Correct. And you're going to be disappointed. It, and you're going to carry that With nothing resolved. Yeah. I didn't finish Parks and Rec for like three years because I just didn't want to end the show. So I can't handle short cutoffs like that because I like the characters, and I knew they time jumped for the last season. All right. So I wanted to cover terminology and kind of basics of Spelljammers. Uh, and then uh, Adrian and Thomas are going to go over a monster from there. I, I'll also cover what a spell jamming helm is, because that's kind of an important part on my end. And then Thomas has a nice magic item. And then we've got some tips for you. Man. So we're gonna, I'm going to kick it off. The whole tell them what we're going to say, say it, and then tell them what we told them. Is that what we're going with today? Mm, no, probably. probably. We'll not. see what we get. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if we even stick to our own plan. Yeah, that's it. That's a hard one on our part. It's a difficult day. So uh, I want to talk about the astral plane, which is kind of the home for stars. It's the plane of stars, and it's it's a yeah. It's it's a weird thing to think about here. Astral plane is essentially what happens when you leave. And I'm going to put this in common scientific or normal astronomy terms: is when you leave. Your own solar system, you have entered the astral plane in this case. Oh, I'm learning things already. So as, as soon as you, assuming Pluto, what it's not a planet anymore, but in our heart it is. So Once you leave past planet. Pluto, 
It's a dwarf planet, yeah. Once you leave past Pluto, you would be in the astral sea or the astral plane. And this would be kind of a um, open space, empty nothingness, right? That's all it is. And in this case, they kind of described it as a infinitely vast celestial void that surrounds all of the worlds of the material plane. On the material plane, though, you would have, like, say, your own planets and everything that's coming onto the material plane. So multiple planets, your sun, your moons, asteroids, whatever you got, anything orbiting a star. Inside of a solar system would be a wild space. So, like, our solar system of all of our planets and the sun and little dwarf Pluto, uh, that would be our wild space system. Once you leave that, you enter the astral sea. And then you can then use that to move through to another wild space system. So it's the equivalent of hopping solar system to solar system, not galaxy to galaxy. Okay. And then is that also, I guess, hopping material plane to material plane too? To a degree, if you were to move from one plane or another, you can kind of set your planes based off of that. Like I'm kind of thinking like right now, material plane is one whole plane. And there might not be elemental planes in my system. I haven't decided if I want to give them that yet. It's possible. It's something that you can jump to and from. But in this case, you are when you're flying in wild space, you are on the same material plane. Right. Exactly. But if you yeah. were to go to a different wild space, that's a different material plane, correct? It's technically going from the material plane to the astral sea back to a same material plane. Oh, okay. It's, it's all the material plane. It's just not your wild space system. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not it's, your... Okay. It's a little convoluted. Like, you could have called wild spaces, wild space systems, solar systems. They called them wild space. I didn't write the book. Um, so, the way... You're traveling in this system is spell jammers, and spell jammers are uh, magic ships that can fly. Some of them are capable of landing in the water. Some of them are capable of landing in the ocean. Uh, sorry, that is the same thing. They can land in water. They can land on land, or they just have to hover and they can't ever land. So there's certain ships and shapes like that. A lot of them are kind of animal themed. So there'll be like one that's like uh, a squid or a scorpion or something along that lines. Some of them are just like spheres. Um, beholders are generally known to have spherical ships. Um, the important thing about them is their gravity and their air. So if you were to picture a sphere ship, and I'm just going to use a simple because this is an audio medium and it would be really difficult to describe planes with our voices. But let's picture a sphere and we're going to have a single line of gravity cutting through the center of mass. So let's say it's similar to the the just a general like soccer ball you would have a single flat plane moving through it just cutting it in half on top of it gravity pulls you downward on the other side of that plane gravity will pull you downward so if i were to jump off a tiny little me jump off a soccer ball and manage to float all the way to the other side of that plane i would be pulled back upside down so you could essentially I would be pulled up in the opposite direction. Exactly. Yeah. So if I were to hop off of my deck of a ship and cross that plane, if I hopped off of the deck, I would end up on the hull of the ship on the other side. That's as long as I stayed within that space. Now, there's also a, a limited amount of air. So your ship has air. In this case, you have roughly 30 days of clean air. 
30 days of foul air, and then 30 days, well, it ends, after 60 days, it becomes deadly air. So if you are traveling for long, extensive periods of time, there's a chance your air is going to dirty up if you don't re-enter somewhere else. And it could be that you have to essentially share air with anything larger. So if you enter a planet that has fresher air than yours, it automatically replaces your air and you're fine. If you enter a dirtier planet, you kind of meet in the middle. But if their air is deadly, your air is deadly now. If you enter the space of a space station that also has air around it, if it's clean, you're fine. As long as it's fairly large enough to compensate for it. So there's limitations of how long you can stay out in space and all sorts of stuff. They're trying to keep it as real, not realistic. I mean, you're flying spaceships. You have no like rockets or anything like that. I mean, I guess you could. Who's going to stop you? It's your fantasy setting. But... Uh, the biggest thing, (coughs) big boosters. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is all coming from the, uh, astral adventures guide. I was looking at page four for that, but to really get into spell jammers, you have to look at the spell jamming helm. So this is the thing. I actually had a player ask me about this the other day, which is hilarious. They're like, what's a spell jammer? I'm like, it depends because a spell jammer is the ship. It's a person who can pilot the ship, and then a spell jamming helm is the fancy chair you have to sit in to move the ship. So, so clear as mud, right? Spell jamming is flying a spell jammer. Okay. But a a spell jammer can also be the person who flies a spell jammer. Not just Capitan, which (laughs) is good for Capitan. They'll be like navigators. There are titles for those on ships. By all means, yeah. But the the spell jammer is anyone who has the ability to cast magic and can sit in the chair and do it. So this is the spell jamming helm. Uh, for reference, it cost about five thousand gold pieces to make. It's a lot of gold. It's a lot, and you have to know the spell creates spell jamming helm if you want to describe it. Uh, so you're lucky if you can get that price though, because you also have to pay for the ship to put it in and market value is probably going to drive it anywhere between 7,500 to 10,000 gold pieces just to get you one of these. So where are you, uh, uh, where are you reading this from? This is page 23 of the Astral Adventures. There we go. So spell jamming helms, the function of this ornate chair is to propel and maneuver a ship on which it has been installed through space and air. So you got to install it. I don't know. Do you have to strap it down? That's up to you. A lot of them in this uh, book show a floating chair sitting in some type of elemental ring. So there's one that's just like a blue chair floating in a blue kind of wispy circle. There's one in a that's like fire and crystalline and it's in a fire circle. And there's one that's a scorpion and it's just got a pink circle. So pick whatever element you think that is. <laughs> Psychic. Venom. I don't know. Uh, so... It can propel and maneuver ship on water or underwater, provided that the ship is built for such travel. And your ship description will tell you whether or not you can take it underwater. The ship in question must weigh one ton or more. So it has to be heavy enough to control with the ship. Anything smaller, you can't put a spell jammer helm on it. Yeah, uh, this to sense- keep people from making improvised bullshit, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's from getting you to make a spell jammer dingy. Um, while that's funny to me, very funny, the problem is, is that that tiny ship now has a very limited supply of oxygen. Great escape pod, I guess, but, um, (laughs) you're probably going to have a bad time. That's like trusting the Titan submersible. 
All right, so this uh, sensation of being attuned to a Spelljammer Helm is like having pins and needles affect one experiences after one's arm or legs fall asleep, but not as painful. So you're kind of connecting to the ship. While attuned the spell jam- to a Spelljamming ham- Helm, ham. while you're attuned to a ham, mm-hmm. uh, and sitting in it, you gain the following abilities as long as you maintain concentration, as if concentrating on a spell. So if you're hit, you take damage, and you break concentration, you lose these abilities. So you gain the use of the Spelljamming Helm to move the ship through space, air or water, up to the ship's speed. If the ship is in space and no other objects weighing one ton or more are within one mile of it, you can use the Spelljammer's Ham to move the vessel fast enough to travel 100 million miles and 24 hours. You can steer the vessel, albeit in a somewhat clumsy fashion, in, in much of a way that a rudder or an oars can be used to maneuver a seafaring ship. And that at any time you can see and hear what's happening on and around the vessel as though you were standing in a location of your choice aboard it. So you can kind of sit somewhere and go from there. Oh, you're like uh, a little, like, ship scrying. ghost. A you can just, scrying. like, be, like, see yeah. from any perspective. <laughs> exactly. You, you can scry any position. I like to think it as... Even if the helm is in the center of the ship and nowhere near, like, looking over the deck, you can always just kind of picture as if you were standing on the front of the ship and piloting it. Yeah. That's cool. Would that be kind of nauseating? I can see this is kind of like a nauseating VR experience. Well, especially if, like, oh, you have to maintain concentration. That 24-hour travel period is rough. You can set it. You don't have to concentrate for 24 hours. You have to give it an assignment. Oh, okay. And say, hey, fly in this direction until we reach it, but also move this path around. Like, guess what? You're the spell jammer. You just get to sit there the whole time. Yeah. Sit on your ass. Now, you can move around. It's in combat that you want to be seated if you intend to move the ship. Or it's uh, when you're moving through some difficult terrain. Generally, it's if something weighing more than a ton is within a mile of you. So like a planet, an asteroid, or something like that. But in most cases, you can just fly it straight to your location you just have to account for 100 million miles in 24 hours so the last thing you can do is as an action to touch a willing spellcaster remember everyone has to be a spellcaster uh to create the creature attunes to the spell jamming helm immediately and your attunement ends. so it does require attunement you have to sit in the chair for like an hour and be like "Ooh, chair uh and then if necessary you can pass on attunement to someone else so if you are leaving the ship you can pass your attunement to someone else who is going to take over and maintain control of the ship for a bit. Nice. Alrighty. So, what type of creatures can we expect to encounter while in wild space slash astral sea? Alright, we're going to talk about the Star Lancer because it looks cool <coughs> as hell. Yeah, it does. This is in the Monstrous Compendium Volume 1 Spelljammer Creatures on page 12. Um, so for the that time, might be Boo's Menagerie of Monsters might be the other name for that. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at it on D&D Beyond because one of my friends generously shared her little books through her account with me and that's where I'm seeing it. So. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's a real book. That's what it says. <laughs> Monstrous Compendium Volume 1, Spelljammer Creatures, page 12. That's okay. what it says. Yep. So, I'll take your word for it. For the description. You want to just give us a... No, because it's in the description. Okay, fine. We'll get there. All right. Uh, 
Drifting in the astral sea are the petrified husks of dead gods, the colossal's body, their colossal bodies riddled with natural tunnels and caverns. Already weird. While exploring the innards of one of these dead gods, Githyanki Xenomancers, I guess uh, I guess Spelljammer has its own set of races. Oh yes. Githyanki or Yankee is old. It's it's in other books as well. Okay. I just never heard of that. Okay. Hmm? They they're like green. They find a vast cavern in the body of these dead gods, and they find scores of winged creatures they've never count- encountered before. The cavern's denizens use telepathy to question the Githyanki interlopers, who promptly suggest an alliance. The winged creatures quickly developed a fondness for the Githyanki. The Githyanki refer to the winged creatures as star lancers or Bakrel in the Gith tongue. And came to realize Starlanders are reincarnations of the dead gods' most ardent worshippers. Interesting. Yeah, this is wild. I'm loving the lore. When a Starlancer dies, its soul instantly returns to the great cavern that forms the hollow heart of the dead god. There, the soul becomes housed in the body of a new, fully grown Starlancer that magically rises from the cavern floor. Oh. As long as the dead god and its great cavern remain intact, the number of star lancers in the multiverse is finite and never changing. Well, that's pretty cool. You can't kill them, really. Not permanently. You have to go destroy the god body first, and I'm betting it's going to be guarded. Um, so, for the, the physical description, uh, this is where it gets even more fun. A star lancer resembles a shark. Albeit one that has four wings and a long tail. Its head bears a sharp protuberance that the creature uses to impel enemies. Oh yeah. It's a shark with a hella pointy face. And then like, think X-Wing. Yeah. And still shark shark teeth too. Yes. Yeah. Also that. So the Githyanki are fond of using the Star Lancers as mounts. Riding them across the astral sea in small flocks. Starlancer has the innate ability to turn itself and its rider invisible, making it ideal for stealth missions and ambushes. That motherfucker can turn invisible? Yeah, he can. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah, he can. It's terrible. So, step block. These are large celestials, typically neutral. What? Um, they have an armor class of 15, hit points of 60 or 8d10 plus 16, speed of 0, fly of 50 feet. So they only fly, which is fine because they're in space, I guess. No feats? No feats. Um, they have a strength of 18, a dex of 15, a con of 15, an intelligence of 10, a wisdom of 13, and a charisma of 8. Saving throws, they have plus four to dex and con saving throws, plus three to perception, and plus four to stealth checks. Um, Damage resistance, radiant, makes sense, they're celestial. Passive perception of 13, and they speak celestial and have telepathy up to 120 feet, and they are a CR2. So, so remind me again, telepathy, does that mean they can talk with you in your own language? Is that what they can mean? talk with within celestial within their own language, I believe. So they can talk celestial up to 120 feet. 
I don't think telepathy. Grace. Let me see, because. I assume there yeah, wasn't really a distance for talking, but telepathy has a set distance. I'm in. Telepathy has a set distance and everything, too. But yeah, the. Um, oh, you're talking about language? The yes. way that telepathy works in D&D is you can understand each other even if you don't speak the same language, right? Not in this case, no. Oh. So you can speak telepathically to any creature you could see within 60 feet of you. Your telepathic utterances are in a language you know, and the creature understands you only if it knows that language. Oh, I thought telepathy was like language agnostic. It does. There's tongues will give you that. So yeah. you could cast tongues and then use telepathy if you have the innate ability. But also it's important to note that just because you communicate telepathically doesn't give the target telepathy as well. So if I'm telepathic and I say, give me a cheeseburger, you can't respond no telepathically. You have to speak to me. Huh. This is not at all how I understood any of that to work. <laughs> there are some like feats um, in particular that could work. So generally though, you have to have the ability to communicate in a similar language. To share a language for telepathy to work. Cool. Well, that, <laughs> then you can't talk to one of these guys. Unless, Unless you know Celestial. You, uh, happen to know Celestial. I learned it. Oh, I learned that back in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to talk to God, so I learned Celestial. Celestial, yeah. Exactly. Uh, cool. All right. So, um, what? This has a proficiency bonus. Oh, yeah. What's with that? Why do these have proficiency bonuses? I've never seen that on a monster before. So that's coming by the new version. So they've kind of released new stat blocks recently. So they're adding proficiency bonuses so that you can use those for your scores. So when it says they're proficient in uh, perception or stealth, notice that they have a dex of 2 plus 2 because they still have a score of 15. But they have a proficiency bonus of plus two. So now it gives them plus four. Okay. Uh, It's how they're calculating their attacks. It's how they're calculating um, different things. So, uh, but in this case, it's if you feel like that creature would be proficient in a specific skill, then you could give them that bonus if you think it's worth it. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was like, because, you know, normally you build a character, you select a few particular proficiencies but this doesn't say what they're proficient at it just has a proficiency bonus so i guess you just get to make that yeah. up as the dm well the proficiency bonus is a stat that they're giving you it increases usually with level so your proficiency bonus starts at two and increases up as you level up yeah, as well but the stronger the monsters yeah but in this case skills you can decide but when it says saving throws and skills that means they're proficient in them okay so that's so there are assigned proficiencies. There are, okay, the skills and the saving throws are assigned proficiencies. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. They, per self and dexterity are plus. Uh, so stealth and dexterity saves would be plus two only, unless they had proficiency bonus of plus two. I see. Okay. They already added it in, but then they just tell yeah. me it anyways. They've given you the proficiency bonus, so you don't have to calculate it by subtracting the modifier from the saving throw okay. or the skill. Cool. Quick maths. Yay! Quick yeah. maths. Um. So, uh, and his other ability is that it doesn't provoke opportunity attacks when it flies out of an animal's out of an enemy's reach. So that's fun. No what, flyby. It's called flyby. Okay. Onto this, guys. 
attacks Action. or actions which are one attack and one not attack so the first one is horn it acts as a melee weapon um, attack is plus six to hit reach of five at least it only needs to reach a five and not ten um, one target hit seven or 1d6 plus four piercing damage um, if the Star Lancer moved at least 20 feet straight toward the target immediately before the hit, they take an extra 3d6 piercing damage. So if it gets a running start, it do more. Dang, and it has a speed of 50, so yeah. it can move pretty quickly around the battlefield. Yeah, these things would be brutal. And, it's, uh, and I believe it said they would ride them in like... In flocks. In flocks, yep. which is like, oof. Uh. I feel like that could do some damage to the whole of your ship pretty quick. Yeah. Yep. And so the last uh, last action they can take is three turns a day. They can use the invisibility cloak. The Star Lancer and one creature riding it, chosen by the Star Lancer, magically turns invisible. This effect lasts until the Star Lancer or the creature riding it attacks or casts a spell or until the Star Lancer's concentration ends. Any weapon worm or parried by the invisible creature is also invisible for the duration. So... It can also turn invisible, as we mentioned in the description. So it can do that three times a day. So that'd be fun. I like that. I, <laughs> using this, I can see it as a, I, my setting doesn't have Githyanki. So I don't, that, that was just more of a choice because there's kind of a race war going on and I didn't want to pick too many races. So there's already a bunch of them that came from Spelljammer's book and others. Either way, uh, I would try to use these as kind of two options. Like the players have are getting raided by these stealthy creatures. The only downside is is that these the Givyanki on the back of them can't get off and not lose their stealth, and they can't attack. So they can go through and do movements or do something on the ship, but they're really only be able to get close invisibly, and then maybe use that to not take as much damage when they're close to a ship. Um, I would, however, say this would be an interesting option on my plan on my in my wild space system. There is a planet that's completely locked down. It has spell jammers orbiting the planet, essentially just saying, "Hey, you can't enter here unless you are of our race," which is Thrykeen and Plasmoid. However, I would say that they're probably just looking around them and making sure nothing's in their way or in sight as they approach. But if you were able to get these, you could enter the planet and stealth in and enter there it's not the fastest thing in the world it would take you quite a bit of time but you could at least sneak past the spell jammers and then make your way into the planet so it could be used against you in a stealthy application or you might need to use these to get somewhere stealthy on a planet that you're not supposed to be on or uh any other application of this if you're not actually in wild space i like the idea of there's an old god somewhere out dead out there whether you as a DM use that in your lore, that's completely up to you. It could just be it's a monster that roams space and they happen to do it. Uh, it's interesting that they're like, yeah, this is a dead god's worshippers. They turn to sharks. <laughs> Flying sharks. It's like... Flying I sharks. It's like reading like a five-year-old's like... like this Fanfic. Is, yeah, exactly. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting creation. You're like, okay. Like, what also gets me is... This creature clearly has a mouth that's, like, predatory. It's a bitey mouth, right? Yeah. But they're just like, no, it only uses horn. It only horns. Yeah, I thought they were going to be a bitey effect. 
Yeah, well, with that big old horn, it's kind of hard to get its mouth around things, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's still a large creature, though, so it should be bigger than most things. Like, you could see it kind of biting the creature on its back easily by sliding in and biting, right? Right. But I agree. Like, the the nose is going to be in the way. I can imagine, like, two, like, it would just be kind of funny to watch, like, these two creatures, like, okay, now kiss, and they're just kind of like, oh, how do we get our noses past each other? Uh, so, yeah, what is interesting is that somehow the Githyanki worked out a deal with them in Celestial, and they're helping them. It just seems kind of like a weird thing to devote your followers to. I guess the god's dead, so they can do whatever they want, but in yeah, this case, their yeah. shark souls go back to... They've got, um, uh, they've got an intelligence of 10, so they're not like... No, they're not dumb. They'd have the commoner's intelligence, right? So they're not idiots. It's just... It's a weird backstory. I could see this yeah. more as like a... When it dies, it dies. If you want to say that that's what's going on, and only Celestial can speak to them because they're space creatures, cool. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Or flies your ship. Or flies your Star Lancer. Invisibly. Oh, yes. Alrighty. What magic item you got for us? What I got, what I got. Also, staying in the spell jammer world. Here. Universe? Book? Book. Wild space? Yeah, yep. Wild space, sure. Um, You're welcome. On, uh, I believe this is the Astral Adventuring Guide, page 23. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at the Wild Space Orrery. Orrery. Spelled O. It's like saying R R E R Y, which is. It's like a southerner saying rural. Rural. Yeah, yeah. Rural. 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 It's oral. Re. Yep. Um, and this is a wondrous item, and it's uncommon. Um, so they're not that rare. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. So inside a wild space system, right? So in a in a solar system, essentially. Uh, this portable arcane device automatically tracks the positions and movements of all suns, planets, moons, and comets within that system, projecting a display of all these bodies in the space above its current location. In that display, a white pulsating pinprick of light marks the orrery's location. And that's it. It's space compass. But very space important compass. space compass. Super important space compass. So, I like this as a... To me, it says it's in a wild space system. So, it could be like a... It's an uncommon item. But for me, it's kind of like a radar. But for larger objects. Not small ones. You can't see where other ships are in your position. But I like the idea... As a DM, I would probably limit this thing's range. So, I have in my campaign setting... The... The end of this wild space is unexplored. So if I want to add more planets further back or other locations further beyond the last planet I have described, then maybe they're just so far away the item you have can't track it in the wild space system. The other thing that's interesting would be, hey, you, you now have a comet entering your space that didn't show up before. So that's a new thing or an asteroid or something that's moving around that no one's seen before. That's now something interesting to look at. It says moons, so an asteroids. Asteroids can be large, yeah, but you could also have like rocks floating that aren't necessarily asteroids. They could be small bases that are rotating around space or whatever. Like you can kind of get picky with it of I could see it as a hook of a 
unknown location that's suddenly shown up on your orrery that wasn't there before. And it could be that whatever they were using to hide from it has shown up or has failed and now they're visible or no one's been this far out in space. You found something new. Cool. Uh, the other thing to think about is wild space or three dimensional. So you'll often see drawings of like, uh, I was kind of thinking of the kids drawing where you put like this corner of your paper has the sun, right? Or you put sunglasses on it. Cause that fucking makes sense as a kid. Uh, but you have the sun on one end and then you have the planets spaced out after that. If they were completely perfectly aligned on one side of the sun, right? That's not the case. These things orbit, right? Unless your entire wild space system, everything orbits at the same speed around the sun. That'd be pretty weird. It'd be impressive. I it's mean, magic. Do whatever you it, want. It would mean the ones out way out far are moving way fast. Hella fast. <laughs> way yeah. Fast. <laughs> uh, what is that? Rotational acceleration or rotational speed, right? Yeah. Haul it ass through space. Yeah. So they have to cover the same distance at the same time as something closer to the system. So in order to combat that, you could essentially, you have to consider that with this device, you could say, oh, hey, Normally, based on our position of this planet to the next one, we're fine. It's only going to be two or three days travel. But now that becomes six to nine days because that planet's on the other side of your sun. So you have to go around your star to that planet on the other end. And we're worried about oxygen. Yeah, you got to worry about your air. So 30 days is fine. Foul air won't kill you. It's just going to cause like exhaustion and other issues on the chip. But you can always hopefully hop to something in between or find something that has that's larger than your ship and replace the air on your ship if you can. Um, one of the things my players haven't encountered yet, because we haven't gotten that far, it's going to be a bit, is what I call a foul ball. It is a uh, sphere that I came up with that when activated, it opens and starts emitting what is essentially just constant amounts of co2 because that's what i assume in my brain what foul air is you've swapped out all the oxygen in your on your ship and you've replaced it with co2 or something else monoxide as well yeah monoxide it's a mixture of toxic gases to humanoids i can't just say humans right? right so you can mechanically turn these off there's not like a command you can physically turn them off but it's a foul ball because within minutes or within hours it will completely turn a ship airspace around it into foul air and after say an hour or so it actually becomes toxic and so if you leave these on a ship and no one finds it it's possible that you have now killed them in less than in about an hour as the air turns deadly so I, I, i have to assume there's spells and items and stuff like that to counteract those things there's like air globe i think is the spell one of them is an air spell that gives you like a globe of air uh and then there's also fish suits which are just space suits so yeah there are some cool stuff related to that that's kind of my idea of it is you you have an idea of where things are this gives you a good idea in terms of navigation how long it's going to take you and you might be able to kind of wing it as like, okay, well, we need to go to this planet in our wild space system. Sure. How far away is it? Oh, well, by the time we travel there, it'll be a week. The planet will move to this position. So this is where we're going. So you need to know like the rotation speed, all that jazz. There's descriptions of like navigation or whatever, but essentially you can calculate how long it takes to get there. And it's good as a DM, if you're working in a wild space system, you need to know where your stuff is and how far away it is. Well, now you've uh, 
you've got me curious if there's, you know, you're talking about coming across bodies of foul air out in space, if there are any creatures in this book that still live in the foul air, right? Like, that are fine with living in it. I'm sure. I mean, there's a lot of creatures that don't have to breathe, and they can also just step out and breathe if they need to. Right. Uh, I never read all the way through Boo's Monster Menagerie or whatever it's called. Um, I didn't finish it. Uh, I'm sure I'll look at it soon. I've just... This came out a while ago, and I'm lazy. So, but yeah, I'm sure there's some creatures that aren't impacted by it. So, or something that's like amphibious and could hold its breath and maybe shove its head in water and breathe. Just fine. I'm just so, I'm just thinking of fun encounters in space. Oh yeah, you could definitely do that. Or as another option, you could also have a creature or object. So think of it as this way: like there's tractor beams in sci-fi, right? Right. Oh, I didn't tractor beam you, but I I as a creature am suited to live on this place, or I as a pirate ship or whatever, and suitable. I'm undead. I don't breathe. I don't care. Right, there are space pirates. They're in the book, monster book. I promise you that because I've used them. But imagine if they had a foul ship of air. They had a fairly large ship that its air was deadly. If they were to like strap pull, like harpoon you or whatever, and start pulling you towards their location, and you meet their dirty, deadly air will foul your air as soon as you enter the same space. So there's there's ways to kind of manipulate the air quality as a form of role play and combat as well. That's something to always consider in these. It's another dimension of challenge that you can add to your players. There's also moving around a three-dimensional space. Always fun. The the gate is the enemy's gates down. You just gotta remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. No. Ender's game? Anybody? Anybody? I never finished the movie, but I have a copy of the book. Read the book. That's my that's my and I think I've repped it before. Read Ender's Game. Awesome book. What about the other one? I think I have Ender's Shadow Ender's too. Ender's Shadow is also very good. Also super good. And They're great to read together. They are. Um still read Ender's Game first though. And yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta read Ender's Game first. Uh, but I think there's three total for his series, aren't there? Uh there may be four or five. I'm trying to remember now. Honestly though, Ender's Game, great. Ender Shadow, great. The series that follows Ender after Ender's Game is fine, but it's not as good as the series that follows Ender Shadow, which is a character named Bean. Yeah, he's introduced in the first series. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. His first book. His trilogy, or not trilogy, his series after after Ender's Shadow is is way, way better than... Yeah what follows in this i personally so i well there's our book recommendation there, for you right there, there so is. ender's game ender's shadow by who knows the author i do do uh, you have it off the top of your head yes i do it is orson scott card heck yeah it is i just want to save you new. yes uh yeah i am on book 13 of the wheel of time which is the last one except for the prequel regarding one of the characters so in the meantime though i read four books in between so <laughs> okay. See, no, I've been reading uh, Priory of the Orange Tree for, like, a couple months at this point. It's so long, but it's good. Yeah. It's very good, um, but it is quite long, and I really need to finish it so I can get on to Will White's uh, finale of um, the Cradle, Cradle series. Cradle. Yeah, because that's yeah. out, and Adrian's most of the way through it. Most of the way through it. Uh, he, his audiobook for The Captain was just like a dollar fifty on Audible today. I saw that. I don't really do audiobooks. I do podcasts. I feel like I we do. drifted from podcast content. Oh, 
Y'all are still listening? <laughs> People listen to this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually me, but I don't know about anybody else. It's just you. None of it's us are important. Like, Adrian, do you want to start our own show? Just called, we'll call it Bitching About Thomas. <laughs> I, so, I listen <laughs> I have, to the podcast. I have so many guests I could bring on. Oh, oh really now? <laughs> Episode one, Thomas's mother. Wow. Uh, so. wow, wow, wow. wow. Julie, what's up? I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> All righty. So, where can you find us, Adrian? At Sweet Tea and D&D on Instagram. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, shoot them to us on our Instagram account. Uh, or if you want to comment or just say hi. Um, but in this case, everybody say bye. 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 bye.